Champaign, Illinois native Emily Harrington coming to you from Kitchen Table Studios in the ever-evolving, sometimes boring, flatlands of Champaign-Urbana for the next podcast episode of Hyperlocals, where townies and transplants share their tales of tears and triumphs, losses and wins, so stay tuned to catch the characters behind the beloved Twin Cities of CU. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Hyper Locals podcast. I have a special guest, and I have never met her, which is unfamiliar to my format. And she just walked through my door, and we're going to get to know her. And I also don't know her story, which makes this interview, I'm hearing everything for the first time. So this is Christy Crouch, formerly Bergy, and she is a Champaign Townie, about four years younger than me, and she is now a Muhammad resident and a teacher in Monticello. Did I get that right? Yes. Hi, Christy. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. She seems very comfortable in the seat, so I'm happy about that. And we are talking specifically about her husband and her role as wife and mom in their unique situation. And I wanted to start by saying I asked both her and her husband, Cameron, to come. Christy seemed open and borderline excited about it with some exclamation points in our texts. And he was hesitant. So can you tell me why? Because I think that's kind of an important way to start. Yeah, so um, I think he was just hesitant because it's kind of a vulnerable place to put him in to mm-hmm. share his story to a lot of unknown people. Sure. And he's been through a lot over the years. So yeah. he just said, you go ahead and do it, but I would prefer not to. So he was completely 100% comfortable with you telling the story. Yes. Okay. But he didn't want to relive it again. Yeah. Since he's reminded about it every day. Right. Okay. So let's start there at the beginning. How did you meet Cam? I met him in 2006. He went to basic training with my um, best friends, the guy she was dating at the time. And they just hooked us up and went out on a date. And then we were together after that. And basic training in what branch of the military? Army. Army. Okay. Had you ever dated anyone in the military before? Nope. Okay. Were you hesitant or your family hesitant? My family's kind of a military family. My brother was in the Navy. So no, my family was all for it. But I kind of was just because we were in the middle of a war. Oh my God. And I knew that that was going to potentially be a thing. And I also didn't want the lifestyle of having to move all over because I was still in high school when we met. So it was one of those like, yeah, this might work for a couple months and then I'm moving on from that. So you ended up falling in love, which overtook any concerns. Yeah. So we're in the middle of a war. Can you tell me where we are in historically speaking, the so, U.S.? So Saddam was still alive okay. at this point. They hadn't found bin Laden or any of that. Um, it was pretty early. It was still pretty nasty. Okay. Um. So who's president? I think Bush. Bush. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're giving me a little history lesson because this is not my strong suit. Okay. And did he join the military in the hopes of fighting for our country kind of thing? Yeah. As oh, soon wow. as 9-11 happened, he said he, he was too young at the time to join right then, but he knew at that moment that he wanted to join as soon as he was able and actually joined as a 17-year-old. Oh my God. And then had to finish high school, but he did basic training as a 17-year-old. So he didn't join the military because he had no other options, because he was in trouble or anything like that. He did it to be a patriot, really. Yeah. Wow. For the love of the country. Yep. Okay. And so now we're in the middle of a war. You're falling in love with this army guy. And where do we go from there after he's out of basic training? Are you engaged or just dating? Um, We were just dating. So we actually dated a very short time before he got deployed. So we only actually dated in person for three and a half months before 
he got deployed. And then he deployed July 4th of 2006-ish. On Independence Day. Yes. Right around there. I remember leaving him and coming home and seeing all the fireworks and stuff going off on the drive home. Oh, my God. So um, he... You left him where? He left from Chicago area. Okay. So you took him to Chicago. Yep. For deployment. Yep. Said goodbye on July 4th. Yep. And then he went for a little bit more training in New Jersey, but I didn't see him again until... He came home for leave at some point, but not for quite a while. Are you in love at this point? Pretty much. We said, let's try the long distance thing and see what happens. But we kind of both knew. Oh, my gosh. Are you writing love letters or is it email sporadic or phone calls? It was actually the Skype. Skype was then. Uh So we did a lot of Skyping. Um, When he was still stateside, we were able to text and call and all of that. But okay. I mean, it wasn't like the old World War II stories that you hear sending letters and stuff. I tend to romanticize things. We did. I mean, we did, but we didn't have to. Okay. It just wasn't real time versus if he could get on Skype. So that was a lot more. Okay. So your love continued to grow. Yep. Okay. And he comes home for leave. Mm -hmm. He came home in like May of 2007. Okay. And when do you get engaged? Not till after he was injured. Really? Yes. Okay, so let's back up then. Basic training, Chicago to New Jersey. We are a full-fledged part of the army now, a soldier. Mm-hmm. And how does he get involved in the war? So that New Jersey training was them training to get ready to go to Iraq. Just the last second, they were there for a short period of time, just making sure they had their gear and all that kind of stuff. And then he got on a plane and went to Iraq from there. When's the last time you got to see him before he went to war and that leave? He had like a two-day pass before he actually went to Iraq and we went to Philadelphia. And I want to say that was maybe October or September, right before he left. So I didn't see him from September until May. September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Yes. So nine months. Yes. I mean, like I said, we talked... But we didn't actually see each other in person between that amount of time. And prior to that, you were dating for less than six months. Right. Okay. (laughs) You're falling in love. You're talking a lot. The last time you saw him before he went to war, did you know he was going to war? Was he able to communicate his duties? When I very first met him, he told me he was probably going to be deploying soon and that we probably really shouldn't get involved. <laughs> and then it Famous kind of last it, words. And yeah. then I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Like I said at the beginning, I was thinking this would be a, a short little thing. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, whatever. We'll have, we'll just hang out and have fun before you leave. And then when you go, that'll be the end of it. But it just didn't happen that way. So he's um, 17. He's 18 at this point. And you are? I was 17. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So you say goodbye, and you know he's headed to Iraq Mm -hmm. to fight in a war. And what are you feeling at this point? A lot. Just really scared, because at that point, that was when you were hearing constantly about soldiers dying. Right. And just the thought of the fact that he was going to be gone for so long, that was scary, too. And just the unknown of what he would see and do and all that when he got over there. And the person he would come back as. Right. Not to mention like post-traumatic stress disorder and all that. Which I didn't know a thing about that. I was too- 17. Yeah, I was too young to really know that. Really the biggest concern of mine was, will he come home? Oh my God. Okay, still not engaged, but seriously dating at this point. Was he able to communicate to you when he was there? Yes. Still Skype? Yeah, or phone calls. Okay, so could you see his literal surroundings? Yeah, so they were on a base in Baghdad, and each, like, two guys had, like, a trailer that they would stay in. So I could see him and his roommate's little trailer. Or if he went to an internet cafe, you could see just several computers lined up behind him. Okay, and what does it look like is around him? Or what is he communicating to you? that he's doing. I couldn't really see anything on the base other than it just looked kind of like a regular boy's bedroom with nothing on the walls or anything. Um, But I mean, you could hear constant like kind of noises that kind of sounded like something going on overhead at times, which he would say, oh, that was just a mortar. 
meaning an explosion. Right. I never heard like gunfire or anything. I think he was on a decently secure base. It was one of the larger bases in Baghdad. So pretty heavily guarded, but mortar fire was definitely a thing while he was there. Okay. And these are a lot of hidden explosions by the quote bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of injuries came from, right? You'd hear people walking around or driving around and come into an explosion kind of hidden. So those are IEDs. Okay. So mortars, I don't know a lot about this aspect of it either, but mortars, I think they like are shooting from outside of the gate and trying to shoot in. And my husband said basically that they were really unsuccessful. It was more one of those things that kind of kept you on your toes, but nothing really ever came of it. Did he share any fear or did he seem pretty stoic? He kind of just acted like like it was another day every time I talked to him. Unbelievable. But you're living in fear here. Yeah. Every day. Mm -hmm. Was he able to call you or were you able to call him? Usually we tried to do like a set time. So he would say, on this day, we can do this time. And then sometimes it wouldn't work out. So he would just send me an email or wow. I would send him an email saying we couldn't do it for whatever reason. And and what's the time difference? Do you remember? I do not. At least I would say it was more than 12 hours. Okay. So morning to night. Yeah. Or night to morning. Yeah. Okay. The main part of this story is he gets injured badly. Yes. Is he in battle on a daily basis? What is his duties? So they guarded prisoners that were like prisoners of war, I guess, and took them to the courthouse for the hearings to decide what was going to be their fate. Oh, my God. Um, He guarded some pretty high-level people, and um, he actually hated his job. He wanted to be more in the action than he was. Uh, This is unbelievable. Okay. So he had to go down some pretty not great paths every day to get to this courthouse. But really, he said it was pretty secure most of the time that he just had to deal with the guys that were like any other prisoner, didn't want to be there, didn't want to cooperate. And there's no English speaking. So there's a huge language difference. You're right. Okay. So he is walking prisoners down dangerous roads to the courthouse on a daily basis. So he was, they were in Humvees. So they were driving. Driving. Yes. Okay. And he wanted to be more in the action than that. Oh yeah. He wanted daily action. Unreal. And he's 18 years old. Between 18 and 19, yes, depending. It's hard for me to imagine a world like that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And he's communicating to a fairly new girlfriend what's happening on a daily basis, saying he wants to be in more dangerous areas. Telling me he's going to volunteer to go on stuff that's more dangerous. And I'm like, how about you just not? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. And he's able to be open with you. He doesn't have to hide any of his duties some of it okay the a lot of the major stuff he could kind of give me like i'm guarding a prisoner they're high level okay that's the extent of what i can tell you i can't tell you exactly my location we had an address for him but that was like his home base but there were times where he wasn't there okay were you able to send care packages yes okay did you do that often at least once a month and what's in there uh, like for sure, we always put cookies or just silly things. A lot uh-huh. of times, sometimes we put like holiday stuff in, depending magazines, books, yeah. candy, just stuff from home. A lot of times, like toiletry type items. Okay. Did he request things? Yeah. Okay. And you're saying we? Is that you and his parents or his parents did? Several of my friends would. My oh. parents would. My um, siblings and their wives would just oh. kind of whoever. Okay. Cause that was really, I mean, everybody was at this point still cared about this war and yeah. was involved and wanted to support the soldiers. Cause we also would, you know, add some extra things in and say, if oh, somebody yeah. needs something or I'd have him ask his friends. I can't imagine not getting anything Yeah, or being the guy that doesn't have anyone at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. So take me to the day of the accident from the best of what you know. And how long have we been there? So he was due to come home like the first week of September of 2007. So this is August 23rd of 2007. So he's almost home. Yes. So he went to the courthouse to do his normal thing. And he got called up by one of his superiors to go up on a rooftop with some Air Force guys that were there that day. And, um, provide security for them so they could go up and look at things around Baghdad, I guess. Okay. 
and the roof collapsed while he was up there and he fell 70 feet straight down into a marble fountain. Okay. Why did the roof collapse? There's a few pieces that we don't really know. Um, That was one of them. The other two guys did not fall at all. They were not injured in any way and the part of the roof they were on was stable. Okay. So does that lead to believe there's funny business involved or it was structural? Probably just structural. Okay. How high is 70 feet? Really high. Really? I, I mean, there's times where we will go out and those hotels that kind of have like, you look down into the lobby. Yeah. He'll yeah. say, okay. go up, let's go up seven floors. And that's how far I fell. Okay. So about seven floors in a building. Yes. Okay. So it's, it's significant. Yeah. And he falls into a marble fountain. Yes. And then what happens? So I don't really feel like... They thought he was going to survive it. His medic that was there and several other guys started taking control of him. He has no memory of any of this. This is all just from them. The fall was so bad that his leg bones actually shot through the bottom of his feet. Mm. He Mm. had internal bleeding. They stabilized him enough and got him under control emotionally. Okay. And then they took him to a hospital somewhere in Iraq. I'm not... 100%. I think it's in Baghdad, but they drove him, like, essentially in, like, a suburban ambulance type thing. U.S. soldiers. Yes. His medic and probably four or five other guys to get him there. Is he conscious? I think he was conscious when it very first happened, and I think they knocked him out. Okay. Like I said, he does not remember being conscious. He does not remember the fall in any way, shape, or form. He just remembers being on the roof. He remembers... Like when they came and told him he had to do it and being up there. But he says beyond that, he's like, I wish I would have known what I stepped on or if I could have avoided something or something happened. But he doesn't remember. And even the guys up there with him, they weren't looking the same direction as him. Uh Their backs were turned to him and they say the same thing. They really don't know what actually caused it to happen. They turned around and it was already happened. Yes. What does he remember next? So he doesn't remember for quite a while. So he went into the hospital in Baghdad and he had severe internal bleeding. His pelvis shot up into his organs. Mm. So it like essentially broke in half and went up. And so they had to stabilize him there. With all doctors, physicians, nurses that don't speak. No, no. This is all American soldiers and American doctors. Okay. That I'm assuming are military doctors and nurses. Okay. At this particular hospital. Yes. Okay. So they stabilize him there and then they send him to Launstuhl, Germany, which is a military hospital. Via an ambulance? Um, plane. Uh, like a air ambulance. I am not completely sure when we got notified that this had happened, but I'm thinking... He was already on his way to Launstuhl, Germany, or was there. Okay. Because he was not in Baghdad long. It was literally, let's stabilize him enough that he can board the plane and be okay. And then on that plane, they had to take a doctor and like a full nursing team to keep him stabilized from Baghdad to Germany. And how do you find out at home? Or who's the first person in the U.S.? His mom was the first person. She got a phone call. And we still don't know what happened and why she got the type of phone call she did. But they called her and told her that he had two broken ankles and a broken pelvis. Okay. So we're all like, oh, he's fine. He'll call us. He might, you know, be really sore for a while. But we're expecting to get a phone call from him probably within 24 to 48 hours. Right. And it doesn't come. It doesn't come. It doesn't come. So finally, his parents get a phone call. He probably had been in Germany two or three days at this point Okay, from the head surgeon dealing with him saying, where are you? He's <gasps> on his deathbed. He's <gasps> coded. And why haven't you guys come? And his parents, of course, were super shocked. And we were told he had two broken ankles and a broken pelvis. And so do you think they told you that to keep you guys calm? I just, just- don't think. I think maybe that is what maybe the medic told him he knew for sure at Uh that moment. He definitely had two broken legs and a broken pelvis and didn't know about all the other stuff. Yeah. I in no way am saying that the medic is at fault for that report. I just think that maybe that was literally the only info they had at that moment when they called her. And it was miscommunicated somewhere along the line that it was more severe. 
Okay. So in Germany, he gets a full assessment. We find out everything that's going wrong. And did he code? That is our understanding. None of us saw that actually happen, but it was definitely not a good situation Okay. when he was there. So what do his parents do when they get that frantic phone call? So they did not have passports. Oh my God. And um, you have to have a passport, obviously, to go to Germany, even though technically, since it's a base, I guess it would be American soil. I don't know how that works, but so they had to call a senator and they had to rush passports for them. And they had to go up to Chicago to get that done. And so this all probably was 24 hours or less. And then the next day. Are they telling you what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent communicated with me every step of the way. Okay. But since we weren't married, there was no rushing anything for me. Okay. So they got their passports and then got on a plane out of Champagne and went to Germany from there. Okay. And what do they find when they get there? Super, super severe injuries, much greater than any of us had known. Uh, the doctor communicated a lot of those, the one that was in Germany, but they had to amputate one of his feet. Mm. They had to fuse together one of his legs. He had a super severe spinal cord injury. He had a brain injury. They had to do a lot of um, internal organ stuff. So his belly had been cut open Mm. and he was very, very swollen just from the injury. Yeah. And he was unconscious, but medically induced. Okay. Did they call you from Germany? They did. They called me pretty constantly. Gave you the list of everything that was going on. Yes. What do you think is going to happen to Cameron at that point? I really didn't know. I was a mess and did not know if he'd ever even come home from Germany. Right. But he was actually only there for a week. Jeez. 100% super intensive care. And they called and said that he was going to be moved to Walter Reed, which is in Washington, D.C. Oh, my gosh. And that he would be super critical and he was going to be flying. And he was so critical. He was the most critical on the plane that if they got halfway there and he started to not do well, they would turn around. Back to Germany. Back to Germany. Okay, so he is in a medically induced coma mm-hmm. and being taken from Germany to Washington. Yes. At that point, do you start to head to Washington? Yeah, so they told us not to fly because of that reason that he could turn around. Okay. So we drove, and that way, if we had to turn around and come home, we would. So Someone was with him. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But like again, a full team of doctors and nurses on, on the plane monitoring him constantly. Oh, my God. And who's driving with you to Washington? My parents and then his brother. Okay. So what happens en route? Do we all make it to Washington? Yep. Everybody got there. His dad was not with him because he was not there when I first got to Walter Reed. Okay. He's off the plane. Yeah. We got there and we go in to see him. He's in the ICU, went up there and the nurse that I saw first was like, somebody needs to get behind her. She's going to faint because it's going to be so bad. And it was. I did. My mom had to catch me. You did? Yes. He was very fit, very like the typical soldier that you have in your mind. And he was like twice the size just due to swelling. No freaking way. Yeah. And every cord you can imagine, he he was intubated. He was monitored in every way. He he looked awful. (sighs) So it was beyond your expectations worse. Yeah. Than you expected. It did not look like the man who had left. Right. And really, truly, again, being so young, it was God. one of my first experience seeing somebody that I truly cared about in the hospital like that. And you had known Cam for almost a year, just about? Just a little bit over. Oh, my God. So you really passed out. I mean, it wasn't like forever. Like, I, I fainted for sure. It was that shocking. Yes. And he can't communicate. Nope. And what's the prognosis right now? They think they, at this point, have him stable enough that he should live through okay. it. But definitely his spinal cord injury, we were told he'd never walk again. Oh, my God. And he would have very limited use of his lower limbs. Okay. If at all. He had a brain injury. Oh, he did? Yeah. But you didn't know the extent of it? No. And then he also, at this point, was missing one foot that they had to amputate just due to the extent of the injuries. And then he had 
a rod through one of his feet, making his leg essentially like a peg leg. He couldn't move his ankle in any way. Okay. Where do we go from here in terms of him coming to? We had a really rough week once we got there. I felt like it was touch and go. It may not have been to the <laughs> the nurses that were working on him, yeah. but like I remember his temperature being too high and they had to put cooling blankets and ice pack him to get his temperature down and just lots of crazy things that I feel like you see on TV and think, oh, this will never happen to me, but it did. And are you there holding his hand? Are you in and out? Are you guys taking turns? In and out because it was such, it was a small room and he needed a lot of attention. Yeah. So one of us was in there. So my parents were there. His parents were there. His grandparents were there, his brother and I. So just kind of taking shifts, but it was a lot to take in too. So like going in and being in there for 30 minutes was enough to last you a while. Mm. So you guys had to take turns. Yeah. So this felt like a bad dream. Yeah. You guys must've been pretty serious. If your parents are there, you're driving across country. I mean, you had to have thought that you'd be spending the rest of your life with him prior to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had definitely talked about it at this point. So So you're still thinking, is Cam going to make it out of here? Yeah. And where do we go from here? Does it get worse or better? Right. Does it get worse? Yeah. So after that, he kind of started to slowly get better. But in those kind of situations, it's like there's moments where you take steps backwards and moments where you take steps forward. So he was at Walter Reed. I think it was like six to eight weeks. Are you there the whole time? I was there the whole time. So I was in college at the U of I. Jeez. And um, knew I could not leave. So I just took the semester off. Okay. Oh, my God. And stayed. So um, eventually he finally got out of ICU. He went from being this big, muscular. Dude, yeah. And he was super skinny, like 120 pounds, teeny tiny, had been through the ringer. Okay. Is he speaking? Yes. Okay. So what was the moment where he opens his eyes and words come out? His brain injury was bad. His head was pretty messed up. So he knew people, but a lot of the people from like the two years prior to his accident, he had foggy memory of. So he had foggy memory of you. Yes, he did. It came back in little pieces, but it wasn't like that grand, he didn't get God you're here um, type. It wasn't anything like that. It was actually really rough to have that part. So he's looking at you. And it's like, I know her, but I don't know to the extent. Yes. Jeez. It was kind of here and there. And so it was like, you'd go in the morning and he'd kind of have that foggy memory. And then you'd go in the afternoon and he'd know. And his brain injury was very odd. I I don't know. It was odd to me. Probably not odd to like medical professionals, but he literally went through the stages of his life. Like one day you'd walk in and he was acting like he was a child. No freaking He was referring to people as like, mommy and those were the memories that he was had that day then the next day he was a little bit older so that was bizarre and then finally we got to what the heck happened to me okay and why am I here what's gonna happen to me what's the prognosis and so then we went through a really rough period with obviously he's got all these problems yeah and he has no memory as to why he has these problems who was in the room when he first spoke do you remember I don't It wasn't with you. It might have been, truly. There's parts, like I still say to his mom to this day, she'll say something, do you remember? And I'm like, I think my brain really has shut off off some of these memories. Maybe as a self-saving piece. Um, Okay, so when he's not remembering exactly who you are, are you thinking I'm never going to know the man he was? He's never going to know who I am? We're never going to have the future we thought we were? Yeah. I mean, it didn't really last that long, but there were some days, like I remember my parents were only there the first week and I remember calling my mom being like, I guess I'm coming home because he doesn't doesn't know who I am. So, right. Okay. So the brain injury was bad, but in a few weeks it starts to heal. He starts to at least get his wits about him to be back like he was. And now we're in the, what happened to me? Yes. He's out and he's out of ICU at this point too. Okay. And where's his physical injuries at? They get worse. They don't really get worse. He's just kind of laying in a bed, just healing because he had those internal injuries and they're trying to decide what they're going to do with his legs. Okay. And what do they decide to do? So 
his initial amputation of having just that foot gone is not a very functional amputation. And we were told that from the get go, that there wouldn't be a prosthetic that they could fit him for that, just the absence of his foot. So they suggested potentially revising the amputation and going higher just to make him more like a below the knee amputee. Okay. And that he would be much more successful with walking. So it took a while for him to come to terms with that. But then eventually he opted to have his amputation taken higher. Okay. On one leg. On one leg. So at this point, his other leg is still fused. He can't move his ankle in any way. Okay, so he'll never have function with the other. Yeah, so they said he could potentially learn to walk like that, but it was, I mean, really, it was like a peg leg. Oh, my God. Okay. So it's... And his pelvis is healed? That was another problem. They were waiting for that to heal. So I don't know when all of that actually officially healed, but he left Walter Reed after being there and then went to Chicago to... Heinz VA up there. And the focus there was for um, him to learn how to survive with his spinal cord injury. Okay. Because they thought it, I think they thought it was a lot worse than it really is. Okay. So he had a burst fracture. So his spinal cord literally lost vertebrae. They flew out. And so if he had legs and nothing else happened except that burst fracture, he would have no use of his calves and below. Wow. Okay. So... They were trying to teach him just everything about like how to transfer in and out of bed, how to take a shower, all of those things. And then they were going to start working with him on potentially standing and walking in physical therapy there too. Okay. Is he paralyzed? No. Okay. So he could move his upper legs that we could see. He could move his knees. He was just super weak. Oh my God. Okay. Ultimately... What happens to his legs? So after he was in Chicago, he went and left and went down to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. Are you going with him? Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. They tried to send him to the best places for each individual injury. And so that was the amputee where you wanted to be to do physical therapy. Okay. So we went there and one... We have one leg that's fused and we have one amputated leg at the knee. Right. Okay. The pelvis is healed. The brain is healed. Enough. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Once he got there, he started doing physical therapy. His therapist basically told him, we can teach you to walk, but it's never going to be pretty. Okay. This is, this fuse leg is really a hindrance to you. Okay. You need to probably start thinking about what you want to do because he had pain in it. Okay. And he had sores that would happen all the time. It just, it was not a healthy limb. Okay. So he opted to get that amputated as well. And so he is a, in the same place. Yep. So they're almost exactly equivalent Okay. at, at this point. Which was going to help balance. You're right. Okay. So that way he would have two functional prosthetics. And okay. They said, you will be able to walk 100% if we do this, but we're not sure if you leave this limb that you will. Where's Cam mentally at this time? Um, do you see glimpses of the old him? Yes. For sure. But definitely still that grieving process of I've lost so much. I don't know where I'm going from here. Right. Are you growing in love with him or are you unsure about the future? A little bit of both. Yeah. Definitely unsure. I mean, there was definite times that we went through some really rocky periods here. I was only with him in Texas for a little bit. And then he forced me to leave and go back to school. Yeah. And he stayed down there and did physical therapy and I'd go down on breaks and stuff. And actually, I think that was the best thing. For sure. Because that allowed him to kind of figure himself out, kind of allowed me to figure myself out. Yeah. And then we'd have time to still see each other and we could talk whenever we wanted at that point too. So, Are you unsure about the future at that time when you're back at school? Yeah. But you still see the old Cam. Yes. Okay. But he's, for the most part, and given the situation, doing pretty well. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Once he really got going with physical therapy, he was golfing and, oh and shooting com- like competitively and doing all these different things. When he's in Texas. When he's in Texas. So do they fit him for prosthetics? Yes. There. Yep. And this is something that is, rem- I don't know much about prosthetics. It's removable. Right. Okay. So at night, does he take them off? 
Yeah, he shower. Would, yeah, anytime he's pretty much at home, he would take them off. You can wear some types in the shower if they're waterproof, but most are not. So, and to this day, he wears prosthetics. Is that correct? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> is it like wearing your retainer? Like you don't want to sometimes? It's, uh, definitely. There's a lot, just kind of depends on the person and what your injury is. But I think he has more tenderness because of the nerve damage from his spinal cord injury. So it really is painful for him and his back and his pelvis and in his legs to wear them. Okay. When I asked you to do this interview and I was trying to get Cam involved, I didn't understand the accessibility because on family pictures, he's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what his range of motion was. So he went through when my my son is now eight. When he was 18 months old, he got an infection on the bottom of his leg Okay, and had to do a teeny, teeny revision because of that infection. Well, that infection spiraled and spiraled and spiraled into 2021 wow um and when he finally it got so bad he had a bone infection it was very severe to the point that he almost died several times from well he was super sick at least when i took him to carl when he first was really sick with it like very severely sick so this would have been probably 2019 or 2020 i can't remember which so he has a high fever and you're just worried he was really really sick and he told me I have to go to the ER. And when I took him to the ER. And I imagine for him to say that, something's really bad. Yeah. So he got there and it was like a scene from a movie. They were sprinting into the room. Wow. And like had to put an IV in his neck because he was septic. Oh my God. So he had was very severe infection from this same leg that started in like 2015 or 14. Wow. So from there... We called so many doctors around the area. We called doctors at Mayo. We called doctors at Barnes, Northwestern, all over like those top hospitals that you always hear. Nobody would touch him. They said he needed to be seen at Walter Reed by the best of the best that deal with amputees. Wow. So, And you have two little kids at this point. Yes. So we fought and fought and fought and fought, and we got him out there because he's no longer active duty at this point. When he was first going through all of his injuries, he was still technically considered active duty. So anything's covered. Yeah, right. So now he's in the VA's care. Okay. So it's a totally different system. system. So he was going from a VA system kind of into like an active duty system by going to Walter Reed. Sure. So he got there and they fought to save his leg many times over, had tons and tons of surgeries. He's had 85 total surgeries. No way. Yes. So we were medevaced, I 85 think. 85 anesthetic right. surgeries. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So with this whole leg thing, I don't even know how many he had. I would say probably at least 12. Mm. And he had to be medevaced every time out to Walter Reed. And I went with him every time. Um, so eventually his infection progressed to the point that they said there's nothing more we can do. So he had to opt to take his knee on one of his legs. So he is an above the knee amputee on one side and a below on the other. And that's his present state. So he hasn't used prosthetics really since like, I think 2014. Oh, wow. Because every time he would wear them, he would get another infection. No way. Is it the pressure? We, We kind of have always wondered, has he had like a dormant infection in that leg and It just, he couldn't tolerate wearing prosthetics because his other leg is always fine whenever he wears it. Is a prosthetic like a glove? Kind of. How does it attach? So it just depends on the um, amputation, but like a below the knee amputation, he wears like a sleeve that's rubber that kind of suctions to it. Okay. The above the knee has, I really don't even know because this is so new for him. He just got these prosthetics. It's kind of got like a pin that clips in. Okay. And... If I saw him on the street and he's in the prosthetics and jeans, would I know? Now you would because the... It's imbalanced. The above the knee amputation is the way the knee moves. It's mechanical. You can tell it kind of like flicks out. Okay. And um, you can see that it's an odd motion. Yeah. The other side, you wouldn't be able to tell. Does he prefer being in a wheelchair? I think he's scared to wear prosthetics right now because he doesn't want to get another infection because it was a really, really rough few years of touch and go 
on and off antibiotics. Jeez. He was really sick. So he does have prosthetics made right now. He did some physical therapy at Carl. He didn't really get very far with it. So he's actually in about two weeks is about to leave to go to Indy to do some really intensive therapy to hopefully kind of get that jump start because he does really want to walk again. Because he does. The accessibility is really hard because yeah. most people, and not because they don't want to understand, they just don't have a reason to understand. Yeah. It's very hard for him just to go into a normal house that's not accessible because, for example, he has to crawl to get into the house if there's a step or crawl to go to the restroom. I hate that. Just because if, if the doorways are not wide enough. That makes me upset. So like some, my brother has a newer house and he they have like a ramp for him to go up. And once he's in the house, he's fine. Yeah. He just, cause the doorways are wide enough, but like my parents' house is an older home. So if he wants to go into the room, like a bedroom or a bathroom, he would have to crawl to get in. And for a strong military man, mm-hmm. what a humbling experience. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Does it seem to bother him? He hates it. Okay. And he doesn't like to get help from other people. Mm-hmm. So another man, yeah, probably military attribute. Yeah. So I, I mean, people say, "Well, I'll help you," and he's like, yeah. "I want to do it myself." Yeah. He knows there's times where he does need the help. It's just hard for him to accept it. Sure. Okay. I want to go back to where you guys go from dating into engaged and married. Mm-hmm. You started dating a two-legged, healthy military man. Mm -hmm. Now he gets a life-changing injury and you continue with your relationship. Yes. And it progresses into engagement and marriage, which I think speaks volumes for both of you. And it's much below the surface is the love is Mm -hmm. what I think. So where do we go to getting married and starting a family? So he got out of the military. Um, He was medically retired in 2009. We got engaged maybe two or three months prior to that. Oh my God. And then we got married in 2010. At that point though, he was doing everything. He could walk. I mean, he couldn't do everything, but he was much more mobile, much more able to go out and do things than he is now just because of him having to use a wheelchair all the time now. Okay. Because he was using prosthetics. You're right. So he, it, it kind of seemed- And the bone infection had not occurred. Nope. It kind of seemed like everything was, was normal. normal-ish. I mean, right. obviously there were things still that he was going through, but- Did this change your love for him in that time? It definitely grew stronger. Yeah. Which is shocking because a lot of people would run and yeah. we heard story after story after story right. of- women showing up with the kids and saying, bye, yeah, we're not doing this. So, I mean, we definitely went through a lot mm-hmm. in that time and we had to learn how to navigate it and cope through it. So and this is in sickness and in health. I mean, this is yeah. the definition. Yeah. You are tough, man. And so is he. Okay. So he asked you to marry him. Yeah. And you get married. Yep. Okay. And he's still walking, no bone infection. And quickly we start to have a family. Is he able to get a quote normal job? So he tried to go back to school. Okay. He went through several things. He wanted to be a, a prosthetist, which is a person who makes prosthetic oh, that's limbs. Nice. And he also considered being a doctor. But basically, he realized his uh, brain injury was more significant than he had realized. Meaning memory. He could not process things the same way he had. He couldn't retain information. He just, he wasn't doing well in school. And shortly after- So he did go back to school? He did. Okay. Shortly after he got back into school, he um, started the infection. So he would get going in a class and then he would get sick and he'd have to withdraw. So that was kind of a mess too. Sure. So what does he do today? So he basically, he doesn't work. He just, he kind of stays home with the kids partially. And then he has so many appointments still because we're through the infection. He doesn't have the infection, but we're not past it because he's not walking. Okay. So we're focused on kind of getting him back into some of his hobbies and getting him walking. Yeah. But basically it's going to entail, like he goes to the VA already once or twice a week, which is in Danville. Yeah. So I'm assuming once this kickstart to physical therapy starts, he'll probably have physical therapy every day. And it's going to be super, super hard on him because every doctor, nurse, 
physical therapist has said, so what's hard for a person who's able-bodied with two legs, it's 200 times harder for him. Right. Just because not only his spinal cord injury, but he doesn't have the lower parts of his legs. So is there PTSD? Is he happy-go-lucky? Is he up and down? Up and down. Yeah. So right now the goal is to get him walking. Get him walking and get him back. He felt like he lost some friends in the situation. He didn't. It just is. Yeah. It's just the insecurity of it all. So he just couldn't do as much. So it it felt that way to him. So now he's just really trying to reestablish relationships, get back into, he really likes to competitively shoot and like go hunting and that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to get him back into that and find ways for him to do that. Find joy, yeah. Whether he's wearing legs or in his wheelchair. Did he go on your recent family vacation? He did not, but that was a girl's trip. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So let me kind of switch gears. And I know this is going long, but it's just such a compelling story. And there's so many questions. But as a mom and a wife, how does this affect you and your role? Do you feel any resentment? for carrying the weight of the family? There's definitely days where it's like, holy crap, this is a lot. Because you have two kids and their ages are? Eight and four. So they've only known their dad in a wheelchair. Is that right? Um, Yeah. Okay. How does that hold for you as a mom? It's been kind of interesting. My son went through a really hard period when Cam was really sick. He had a lot of emotions around the fact that he was in and out of the hospital. He felt like he was going to die every time he went. Mm -hmm. So that was really hard for us to navigate. Some insecurities with sleeping and that kind of stuff. So we're still working through that with him. And there's times where I felt like if we were leaving the house, he would freak out. Like, I don't know if he just didn't think we'd return or what. Because there for a while, everything was normal. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And we were on a plane and we were gone for two weeks. Yeah. And they'd stay with your parents? Or his parents. Yeah. Okay. So I totally understand where it's coming from. My daughter is at, thankfully, through all of this, has been at a young enough age. And she's kind of happy-go-lucky. So Mm -hmm. nothing's really affected her. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is just normal to her. Yeah. It's definitely normal for my son too, but it's just, he's kind of been old enough and able to understand enough some of the hard periods Mm -hmm. that his dad has had to go through. So do you have caretakers fatigue at all? Do you just want to scream in the bathroom sometimes? There are times. Yeah. But Cam is really, really, really good about like, I know you need to go out with your friends. Mm -hmm. I know you need to have some outlets and just go do something on your own. So that has been really helpful over the years. And he did not want to move back to Illinois. He wanted to stay in Texas where he did his therapy just because of, he knew so many other people like him there. And I just knew that we were going to need our family. And it was the best decision because I can have my mom watch the kids whenever, or his parents watch the kids whenever. So it's really, really helpful to have both of our parents here. Yeah. And even my brothers and Mm -hmm. their wives help all the time too. So it's definitely nice because I feel like they see it and they try to support me and him as best as they can. So it doesn't really get ugly. Like you hear a lot of stories of it getting. Yeah. Have you explained his accident to your kids? Yeah, my daughter probably has no idea what we're talking about. But like I, uh, the last time we were just at a hotel and my son looked down and he goes, wow, he fell this far. Oh, and yeah. So, and I, I, the reality of yeah. it. Yeah. And I've started to notice that he's a little bit scared of heights. Oh, your son. Mm-hmm. So. Is your husband? Yeah. And my son's a daredevil. So yeah, it's out of character for him to have fear, fear like that. So it's totally related. Wow. How has the community reacted to you guys? This is just the normal. It it is. And I mean, we've been given so many opportunities. Uh, For example, we had our house built for us by an organization um, called Homes for Our Troops. And there was portions of it that the community could come in and help. And there was so many people some people that I knew, but the vast majority I'd never seen before. Yeah. So that was really cool. But like our neighbors, they're all super accepting and try to help. For example, the other day, our trampoline flew away (laughs) and like the whole neighborhood came out to help us and to get it. And I mean, I just, they know and they respect Cam and what he gave for the country. And 
try to help in ways, any ways that they can. So yeah, it's really cool to see, especially in a time when you hear so many bad things going on to see people come together over it. Does he regret joining the military? No. God, that's incredible. That's incredible. The one thing that I've always been like, what? He doesn't like how he got hurt. He tells me, I just wish I would have been blown up. Jesus. So. He doesn't see it as honorable. Not as honorable as the others. Yeah. Well, I think he is incredibly honorable. And I understand why he doesn't want to rehash this. Mm -hmm. And I think you're incredible. Thank you. I am not kidding. Do you think you're incredible? You don't see it. Uh, No. (laughs) I mean, like you said, some women would turn around and run. Mm -hmm. And you stayed by your man. And um, it's just amazing. And I wish him health and walking. And I just wish you guys family vacations together. I really do. Yeah. Is there any resources or anything you want to plug or say that you don't think we covered? Anyone that really helped you or any place that really helped you or Cam? Definitely the best organization that has helped us like financially and stuff through this most recent thing is called Simplify Fund. And every time we'd have to jump on a plane, we'd have to find a place to stay. We'd have to find food. We'd call them and they'd give us a check. And that's what they do for every... Isn't that Marines? It Initially, it was okay. created for that. And now there's a division called America's Fund. Everybody okay. still calls them Simplify Fund, okay. though. And um, they just truly pour out money to help injured vets and make sure that any hardship they have, the pieces that someone can control easily like yeah. that yeah. are covered. Okay. And it's been a godsend okay. to have them to call. And they check in. They constantly with us they have sent me on a caregiver trip before Mm. to connect with other yeah women in similar situations and so they're phenomenal if someone wanted to support your family is that the best way yeah okay definitely okay christy thank you for coming yeah thanks for having me oh my gosh you're amazing and your family i wish you guys nothing but the best well thank you and cam hello i hope you listen to this and (laughs) i think you're incredible a true patriot really thank you everybody thanks for coming Thank you so much for listening. However your podcast host of choice allows, please positively rate, review, comment, and give all the stars. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, and ring that notification bell so you know when the next episode drops. Also, search and follow HyperLocalCU on all social media. If I forgot anything or you need me, visit my website at HyperLocalCU.com. Bye!